Hello and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by typing in Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up. And at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also find me, Austin Glidden, at Austin Glidden on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on Letterboxd. If you search my name, I'll pop up. Uh, please feel free to you know subscribe or follow or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please, please, please. It helps us out a lot more than you know. Rating, uh, reviewing, all of those things, wherever you're listening. Uh, we really appreciate it, sincerely. And um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not going to go into this much. Because last week we did our 6 through 10 of our top 10 favorite films of the year. This year we're doing our 1 through 5 and the episode is twice as long because we finally get to talk about our favorite, favorite movies of the year. So uh, it is again Joe, Matt Sosi, and myself. And so we are going to, uh, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to let us get right into it because it will be a bit of a longer episode. But hopefully you guys enjoy the top 10, or top 5 rather, the end of our top 10. And then uh, I will say this, next week, Joe and I are going to do our 2021 wrap-up where we talk about a few honorable mentions and just kind of discuss the year as a whole in movies. And then uh, we're going to be focusing on our 2022 most anticipated films. We're going to do our top five, and that will be a whole lot fun. All that and more on next week's episode. But for now, I want to hop over and see how Joe and Matthew Sosi are doing. So let's do it. All right, everybody, I'm here with Joe and Matthew again. Thank you guys for listening hey. again. Um, <laughs> you don't get introductions this time. Uh, we're here to do our top five, and we held off on a few of the titles last week that we're going to be able to talk about this week. I'm very excited about it. And uh, hopefully you listeners, if you didn't get around to some of these, we will motivate you to check some of these out because for as lackluster as a lot of the year was, I feel like there were some really good gems, and we're talking about them here on these lists. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in, anything we need to say before we jump into this list, guys? Um, I'll take that as a note. I'll take that as a note. I don't know. We have like three old guys on the uh, Zoom porch. Just gonna- yeah. <laughs> All right, Matthew, give us your number five, brother. Number five, my friends, I have, yes, Another tie on my list because oh, this is my God. list, damn it! And you'll know, <laughs> and you'll know why immediately. My number five ties are the films Pig and Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> so Pig, uh, Nicholas Cage doing a film where he's not clearing his debt. He is a truffle hunter whose prize pig, the truffle hunter, really is stolen and he's got to go from the Oregon wilderness to the seedy, not just the seedy organized crime underworld, but the seedy organized restaurant underworld of or of Portland to find his beloved pig. It's a revenge film that's not a dumb, dumb action film. And you would think this, it sounds like a you know, payback or, or point blank, or actually those are some of my favorite revenge films. It, it doesn't turn into uh, death wish nine. It's got an understated performance from uh, who looks unhinged Nicholas cage. 
And I yeah. just enjoyed the hell out of it. And it's it's just, you know, it, it seems like he does one for himself and six to clear his debt. And this is one of the ones. Yeah. So yeah. thoroughly enjoyable. Then you have Lamb, which um, <laughs> let's see. It's it's a it's a family. Uh, it's a Vladimir Johansson is your director. It's set in Iceland. Gorgeous Iceland. Not enough films shot in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Numi Rapace. Not Rooney Mara, as I accidentally said in one review, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a farmer and and wife, and uh, they're out in living by themselves, and they have title of the film that uh, they wind up taking a very strong connection to. And uh, well, I'll put it this way: there there are this there's the easy punchline of when you're stuck out in the wilderness for so long, the only companionship you have. Uh-huh. Also, you have. The couples who treat animals as children. <laughs> now, now take those two aspects mm-hmm. and really run with them. Yeah, and that's this film. It's not comfortable, but man, it's got it's got serious stones. Both films. <laughs> so, um, my buddy Abdul Kim Shabazz, I remember um, he. I'm kind of on call as Doctor Sosi film therapist. And I got the all caps WTF text from him when he uh-huh. saw Lamb. So um, you can watch this as a double feature. I'd probably I'd do it in that order. I'd start with the pig and then go to Lamb. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we covered uh, Joe and I. Uh, wait, we covered Lamb, didn't we? You, yeah, we, we did, covered yeah. Uh, we covered yeah. Lamb on episode 62. And I covered uh, I did my review of Pig on episode 57. You guys can hear what I thought there. I will say a few things, though. Uh, pig was one of three films that Nicolas Cage did this year. And um, my second to last least favorite film of the year was Willy's Wonderland. It pissed me the fuck off, and I ranted on the show about All it. All right. Um, yeah. And then, uh, but then he did uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Let me just say something about this real quick. Okay. A lot of people don't like this movie. It's very polarized. I heard about it from Sundance. Whenever Sundance happened, and I was getting, I was like reading about the movies to look out for. And um, and it, you know, Pig is definitely the best of the three. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but Prisoners of the Ghostland. If you like some like weird like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome without Tina Turner meets like fucking oh, Japanese as shit like Sukiyaki Western Django <laughs> meets like fucking Nick Cage and like one of his testicles blowing up. Like if you're into that kind of shit, <laughs> that movie. Do you fucking- write the video box for this? No, <laughs> I mean this is it, that movie actually rules. It's stupid at times like it would never have been my top 10 and it's not even going to be in our honorable mention talk but it is a movie where it's like if you can handle really ridiculous things and you just want to have a good time i will say the movie looks beautiful and it's just a fun time it's like a live action anime almost or something it's very strange to see nick cage in it um and it's just it's just a sukiyaki movie you know and it's weird so i say all that to say pig is definitely the best it was an honorable mention of mine um, uh-huh. And it definitely subverts the John Wick revenge movie, which a lot of people thought this was hey, just yeah, going to be. That was another one. I, yeah. I think if you're if you're a John Wick, if you're if you take John Wick a little too seriously, you're going to this is the art house version of John Wick. So, yeah, because uh-huh. for like the first half of the movie, it is John like you feel like it's John Wick. But then yeah. it really starts to subvert all of those kind of tropes. And um, yep. regardless of how well I thought they nailed it, I really appreciate that subversion. There's there's one piece of casting I have to acknowledge in this because our family here at uh, uh, Soci Hall we we're huge fans of the series Northern Exposure. 
Mm, and there there was a semi-recurring character of this kind of crazy outdoor woodsman who happens to be a gourmet chef played by adam arkin so when he shows up at the end of the film end of this film without getting away much i was like it's that lovely little piece of stunt casting kind of like robert morris and mad men of oh you put him in this because he did this or maybe you didn't but i know that and i'm i'm giddy about it so yeah just just an enjoyable yeah i actually like that art house john wick yeah (laughs) yeah i mean again best nick cage movie by far of the year you know and probably in a while we have to look. Well, that, that would have to look I would, IMDb. I'd probably say like probably since Mandy. I like Mandy, Mandy more. Yeah. But, okay, yeah, like, that's but that was like okay. 2014 or something. I mean, that was or 2017 or something. I don't know. Several years ago is my point. So okay. he hasn't right. done a whole lot to speak about since then. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I'm really happy that that was on your list. That was uh, Matthew's number five. Great choice. Oh, it was a double. Um, Pig yeah. and lamb. Why it's oh, oh, lamb. Menu. Yeah, we covered that. I already said we already covered that on uh, uh, episode 62. Joe and I did, yeah. so I won't talk on about it. But I will say this. Yeah. The ending, I didn't think it would catch me off guard because I was like, I was ready for the movie to be weird. I didn't actually know the whole gimmick. But as soon as I got yeah. the gimmick, I was like, oh, okay, I get this. The movie yeah. ended and it really did take me for a ride. So I had yeah. no idea what to expect. I, yeah. I I wouldn't recommend a uh, lamb and a net as a double feature. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be real weird. Joe, where to you? Number five, brother. Yeah, let's go. Number five is not lamb. Thank you very much. Um, but um, maybe some maybe featuring people who are equally as weird. Um, I I'm picking Michael Showalter's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, as my number five mm. now I, I think I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on you know like on the podcast or not um, when I was a kid my grandmother was a very big fan of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker ah. to the extent that um, so I you know I I growing up I, I was an army brat so I was moving around quite a bit and I lived in uh, on Fort Bragg North Carolina and one day my just a caravan pulls up to my house and it's my grandmother, my uncle, my, my two favorite cousins. And, and we were going to this place called heritage USA. Oh, this hotel that Jim and Tammy Faye Baker uh, started. And it was supposed to be the coolest thing. Now it was one of the most fun family trips I had as a child. Um, but I spent time there running those halls um, of, of their hotel that, that is kind of chronicled here in this movie as an extraordinary way for them to build money out of people like the the excess they built with with their the millions they took from people including my grandmother by the way who i think regularly gave them money um but anyway th- this is just kind of a fascinating movie about people who are really just taking money from people just basically asking for money and taking it in the name of god and um, they're they're mostly kind of miserable, horrible, terrible people who have built and fooled people into thinking that that they're people of God. Uh, Andrew Garfield is in it again. Told you he's coming back on my list. Uh, Jessica Chastain plays Tammy Faye. Um, Andrew Garfield plays Jim Baker. And my favorite casting is Vincent D'Onofrio as Jerry Falwell. God damn, he's so good. <laughs> he is such a son of a bitch. And I loved him so much. Um, so, yeah, uh, check out The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It, again, it's 
it's maybe not like a great, great film. It's not a five-star film, but you know, as, as someone who's always kind of been fascinated with this whole phenomenon, I mean, my grandmother gave money to Benny Hinn, I'm sure. And she like this, these people were on TV at her house every yeah. Sunday. And you know, it was, I mean, I was, I've been to, to church services where people were having hands laid on them and they're speaking in tongues and all this stuff. So this whole thing is just fascinating to me. And I loved kind of seeing their, their origins and kind of where they went. And um, it, it explains a lot. And um, it, it's sort of a family tradition almost. Passed down. Wow. Yeah. But, um, I, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It, it's one that, that I, I feel like people should watch if, uh, you know, if, if this topic of televangelism is at all interesting to you in any capacity whatsoever, you should watch this movie and, and, and uh, kind of get a fun look behind that curtain. I, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm, I didn't, uh, this is great. I, I've known you forever, Joe, and I, I had no clue that you, uh, you got to, to go. Uh, sometime off, to, I have to tell you my trip to Oral Roberts University back in 1998. <laughs> I didn't go there. Um, this this was a film that was hard for me to watch because, and I, I kind of put it in the same category as I Tanya. Okay. Of of you you were you were I know you're trying the point the point of the film is to make this lead that your lead character uh, to humanize them. And I get that. And and you mentioned the fact, but there was a part of me kind of yelling at the TV, going, "You knew." right it's it's yeah, like yeah. me at the end of saving mr banks where i was like she didn't like it <laughs> um uh-huh. and so it was i i really it was funny because and I, I i remember admitting this in my review i was like i had to step out of this and say mm-hmm. i'm yelling i'm yelling at my tv screen and i yeah. had a problem with that and you know i love films with despicable people in them yeah. and i remember jim and tammy and the rest of the bunch Mm-hmm. on tv in the 1980s but so, by the way they're all still around they're still all on yeah TV. well and yeah. she's i i would have and they they kind of get to it a little bit near the end of how she kind of becomes also a gay icon yes and you know i, I would love to have seen you know uh my dinner with andre film with her and jim j bullock <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh i'd pay money for that <laughs> thank you so yeah so there was that thing of it was and i had and there's there's also uh a piece of outside information that I'm going to get to with a film that's still on my list. Uh-huh. But that, that was one for me as an individual. I was like, I'm, I'm really having a rough time with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, anyway, I covered the eyes of Tammy Faye on episode 59 when I did my 2021 cram, but I want to bring something up for the sake of our conversation. I did mention it there, but um, I love this movie. It was an, it, it's like number 16 out of all of them, but I love uh-huh. this movie and it's right below pig actually. And I'll tell you why. Ah. I grew up similar to you, Joe, in terms of the church. I grew up in a church where my grandfather was a pastor and uh, tongue talking, laying on hands, people uh, falling over the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew of Jam- uh, Jim and Tammy Fan, who Benny Hinn. I knew of all these. I actually knew a lot of these people because my grandparents knew them for 50 years when they weren't as big a deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, I didn't know Jim and Tammy Faye, but still. Uh, but like... I, I knew of them, too. I actually, at Christmas, looked through a bunch of photo albums of my dad and stepmom. And my stepmom had her mom or grandparents or whatever uh, photo albums. And guess what was in there? Little magazine cutouts of Jim and Tammy Faye. 
wow. in there where they just loved them so much, much like you were talking about your grandmother, Joe. Yeah, and that uh-huh. freaked me out because I just watched this movie and I'm like, wait, this is so weird. Um, yeah. But this is why I think Tammy, uh, why I think the eyes of Tammy Faye works so well. And knowing Michael Showalter, I question whether this was his intent. As a biopic, a standard biopic, it doesn't work that great. Like, it's a cool movie, but it doesn't really work, like, that great. It's very Tammy Faye, very kind of yeah. disjointed, and it's very much like her mind. And that's that's a compliment, and... And it's also the title of the film to a certain degree. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. like, I get the intention behind that. But what it also does is it indicts the Christian evangelical church that believes in prosperity gospel using yeah, yeah. the bakers as a vehicle to show us that yeah. that yeah. terrible shit. And on yeah. that level, I love mm-hmm. this movie because like I said as a biopic traditionally, I think right. that it is it's fine, you know, but yeah. man when you when you grew up in the church like me at the very least, and you don't have to have, but I, I just have that experience I just yeah. see it indicting all of these things. You know what I mean? Yes. And and uh-huh. that part of it I actually thought was really clever because a lot of people don't get that. And I don't know if that's because they didn't grow up like us or what. Uh, yeah. But I really like this. That's all I have to say about that. Great. All right. Cool. All right. Cool. Then we'll move on. Uh, what was that? Number five, four? Five. All right. Number five. five. So it's my turn. All right. Yeah. Uh, my number five was the, uh, I think this is the biggest, most notable cast of the year. And that's the French Dispatch by Wes Anderson. Okay. Uh oh, Matthew Sosie's oh. face just made me nervous. No, okay, so no, 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 no. Take your piece. Take your piece. All right, all right, cool. So nobody else. All right. So um, ju- just to run down, because I, I I covered this uh, on a on a show as well. I think it was like episode sixty four something recently. So this is a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, written by Wes Anderson, of course, and a slew of other, like Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola and stuff. Cast, just just to give a few. This isn't even all of them. This is just a Half few. screen actors Half, kill. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's insane. Bill Murray, Benicio Del Toro, Tilda Swinton, who had a great year. Um, mm-hmm. Leah Seydoux, uh-huh. uh, Adrian I Brody, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright. So many more that I'm leaving out. It's not even funny. I just wrote a couple. It is for rent on Amazon uh, for $5.99. So if you want to uh, rent that, uh, please do. I'll tell you why I love this. Uh, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan anyways. Uh, I like all eras of Wes Anderson. So, you know, whether it's Bottle Rocket Royal Tenenbaums era or this kind of really concentrated, quirky, uh, you know, um, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel style Wes Anderson. Um, He is style over substance and he is a guy that his craft is unmatched. And and so this movie, although I think, you know, Moonrise Kingdom and, and Grand Budapest and some of those might be better in my opinion, this movie is... I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Everyone knows this. He was so meticulous with how he did things. And I I just like, when I think of just visual craft, I don't think anyone has been as maniacal as Kubrick other than Wes Anderson. Uh, You look like you want to say something. Well, is, except Wes Anderson doesn't make you do 130 takes. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. You got that going for you. But I don't know how he doesn't because some of the shit he pulls off, he yeah. has to have the best in the world because there are scenes in this movie. There, first off, there are animated sequences. There are like freeze frames that aren't actually freeze frames. They're just people standing there. <laughs> and how he does that, I literally have no idea how it's so perfect. 
from the files of police squad yeah, yeah. <laughs> or what, what was the thing what was the thing that was on online for a while where a roaming camera and everybody's frozen yeah yeah i don't, so, I don't even know it's an expensive version of that okay yeah, yeah. dude and but the, what i love about the french dispatch too is he's getting all the craft out of the way right these visual craft that he does right and the story's mm. perfect for it because the story is basically the staff members of this european publication they decide to publish a memorial edition highlighting the three best stories of the last decade and it just tells you those three stories and that's mm -hmm. it like, that's all it is. It's a playground to have fun with the craft of telling mm -hmm. these interesting stories. Like, that's all they are, is just kind of interesting stories. Like, they're nothing groundbreaking. But I honestly think in 20 years, we're going to look back and we're going to see Wes Anderson as a legend. And I'm not even a huge, like, Wes Anderson. Like I'm not the big guy, like, he's my favorite filmmaker. He's probably not even in my top 10, okay? I just find his movies very entertaining. But... Okay. I think he will be a legend for his visual craft. I don't think anyone has ever nor currently is doing what he can do visually. I'm not saying that there aren't other movies that maybe do better visuals, but no one does what he does. He's like one of the most auteury people I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know what I mean? And honestly, out of all of his films, I think The French Dispatch has blown my mind the most visually. And it just earns a spot in my top ten. Yeah. Okay. Th thoughts on the French Dispatch? Anything <laughs> anybody wants to say? Because you guys look Joe? floored. <laughs> go, go for it. No, go for it. Okay. Um, no, I I liked I liked the French. First of all, let me be symmetrically perfect in this shot online. No, but um, no, Anderson. Wes, I think no, you're right about Wes Anderson. I think he's already yeah. considered a legend now. Um because of the evolution of what he's what he's done wes anderson is one of those filmmakers for me that i i set the bar high so if it's not a home run i think it's a disappointment yeah you're right from a technical aspect it's probably the most intricate i mean i'm thinking of jeffrey wright walking through room after room after room and you know, I can't wait to see the special features on how many times did they have to do that again? Not Kubrick. You know, he, he's not selling Jeffrey. You know what? You don't. You don't even know what the character wants until take sixty. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the thing that that kind of put me not I shouldn't say put me off, but when you're doing an anthology, when you're doing three separate stories, this is like it's like food. It's like cooking competitions. If you give me three dishes or two dishes, they might cancel each other out. So, from a from a technical standpoint, it's excellent. I thought the stories were good and I, I expect, I guess I expect great from Wes Anderson, but on the flip side, disappointing Wes Anderson is still heads and tails above most of the shit that's out there right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you, if, if I'll take a Wes Anderson misstep uh, any day of the week, yeah. uh, but it's, it, it didn't, it didn't rock my world as much as you uh, did, but I, I'm still, I'm still glad I saw it because he can still keep making films. Yeah. Dude, I mean, I'm I'm so huge on uh, when someone at least is making a focus of their visuals, like that is a focus of the film, which clearly it is here. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think like, did you like, did you guys like Grand Budapest? Was that a different like? I love Grand Budapest. Okay. Well, it it, it also yeah. asked me, it also submitted or it also honored a request. I went, I went, I need Ray Fiennes to do more comedy. Yeah. And and I I think that film is funny as hell. God damn, um, dude. Go ahead. Sorry. 
No, I'm saying I, thanks to that film. If I'm stuck on it, if I'm stuck for an answer on something, I just turn and run away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. That's like so great. I love that movie. This one, this one, uh, I don't have the same. Like I, I, my favorite era of Wes Anderson is like Royal Tenenbaums era because I think there's a lot of heart in those movies, but he still has like you mm-hmm. see kind of the OCD guy behind it, right? These mm-hmm. though, I still love them. It's just like a different thing. Royal Tenenbaums when when Elliot Smith's Needle in the Hay starts playing and uh, and the dude just slits his wrists in in the sink. That gets mm-hmm. me every time. Like, like, like it's so heavy and it makes me, it's like, again, Bummerville, right? Like, it just, yeah. like, makes me feel so many emotions. And that's, like, my favorite era. But, dude, the French Dispatch, name, and this is rhetorical, but n- name a better film or a better looking movie than this in terms of not just general look, but, I mean, just, like, craft. You know what I mean? It's just, like, oh, I'll well, put it up yeah. against anything, you know? You can say that about Dune. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the French Dispatch is better than Dune. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. You are right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Wes Anderson. I just watched. Um, I was I was working on a retrospect about Peter Bogdanovich, and I have a DVD of a film, lesser known Bogdanovich film called They All Laughed. It's a it's a detective comedy, romantic comedy with Ben Gazzara, Audrey Hepburn. John Ritter. John Ritter's wearing round glasses, therefore he's Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, <laughs> Dorothy Stratton. And one of the special features is a conversation between Bogdanovich and Wes Anderson. So yep. I don't know if yep. that's available streaming, but I have a physical copy of it, so go look for it. I'm pretty but, sure yeah. it, there's like a clip at least from it on on uh, like okay. YouTube and stuff. We, we uh, Sam Watermeyer and I actually did, uh, we celebrated Peter Bogdanovich. I watched Paper Moon for the first time. And oh, I've always wanted to see it. I just never got around to it. Uh, and it wasn't okay. in like a gearing class. So I just never watched it. But like, <laughs> um, but dude, I like that was so fucking good. That movie. And it just made cool. me miss and love uh, Bogdanovich just showing up in random places and talking about sh- like he's in the Sopranos. Like, why? But yeah. I love well, it. He, you know what I mean? He, like <laughs> when when he because I, I got to interview him for the film show it was like one of the first big interviews I, I got to do. And it, it was he was hosting a screening and a Q&A at the I, then IMA about yeah. Touch of Evil. Yep. And we were in the lobby. Now I sound like Peter talking about him. But uh, but he talked about playing the psychiatrist in The Sopranos and and David Chase saying, you know, uh, you know, he has him cut. Let's do it again. And Peter doesn't give he doesn't give Peter any direction. And then they do it a second, you know, cut a second time. And and finally he just jokingly says, do it better. And Peter just went, fuck you. <laughs> Dude, he's so awesome. I love and yeah. and Sydney Poitier died the same day. Like, what the fuck? Man, Anyways. that's that's a that's a rough. So anyway, we can yeah. get it another yeah. Joe, um, Joe, your thoughts on French Dispatch. It's been a, it's been a tough year. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I didn't see the French Dispatch this year. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of, I guess, of Wes Anderson. I, I, well, I mean, I want to say it like yes. this. I, Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of my like top 10 favorite movies, period. Yeah. Um, it is in top 10. Um, some of his stuff can get a, you know, it can get a little silly, um, and you know, it's self-indulgent maybe if you want to call it that. Um, but, but his stuff is always quirky and fun. And I, I generally enjoy, I love Moonrise Kingdom. Um, you know, uh, he's most of his stuff I really enjoy. Um, so, but I, you know, I don't have too much to say about this cause I, d- I just didn't okay. get around to watching it. And, uh, you know, uh, I 
in general, you know, his movies I think are worth seeing, if not must see films. Speaking of self indulgent, one one more thing. We'll get. We'll. I. We, we should probably move on. Yep. Um. You know, Joe, and I think Austin, I've done this with you a bit about Kobe, my old film show producer, and oh. I would make fun of the dorm room starter kit for art for posters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. So mm-hmm. for those listening, if you're if you're a guy of a certain, and it's probably Kobe because he's younger. You are a yeah. guy. Pulp Fiction, uh-huh. Matrix, Fight Club, Boondock mm-hmm. Saints. Yes, I was. I went to college in the late '80s. Therefore, I had Annie Hall. Uh-huh. Uh, for girls, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Dirty Dancing, The Notebook. Yes, you know, and you were you were either an Audrey or a Marilyn. Uh-huh. So my daughter at, at Loyola in her uh, uh, dorm apartment with her roommate, who is a film major. I am proud to say, their artwork are. Hustlers, which was her roommate's choice, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my daughter's choice, uh-huh. a photo of Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom. Nice. So I'm happy with that. And then there's one more, and it's on the list, so I'm just going to say it. All right. Yeah, let's hang on to that one. All right, yeah, so yeah. then we're at number four then, Matthew. What, what's uh-huh. your number four, man? My number four, speaking of my lovely daughter, she and I went, and there's a little lovely little art house theater in the Oregon district of Dayton, Ohio called the neon and they just renovated it and it's in good shape and they have good popcorn and good local beer and liquor. And that's where I saw Paul Thomas Anderson's licorice pizza, Uh a love story with two, a 20 something played by Elena Haim, whose music I have no idea about. That's okay. And Cooper Hoffman, the first profile shot of Cooper. I went, Oh my God, there's his dad. Now hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Um, This is, this is on my list, but Joe, is this on your list? This is not on my list. Well, um, I didn't. Yeah, I did not. Okay, all right. This. Well, let me um, say this real quick, Matt, because yes, uh, it's my number four also, so we can just talk about it. All right. So go, go for, for it. it. It's it's a love story in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood clothing is, is kind of the way <laughs> I discover it is she's in her 20s. He's in his late teens is a teen teen actor. And they're both trying to make their own hustle and they don't never quite. And there's, we've had those relationships, especially younger, of they're in a different place, you're in a different place, and sometimes you connect and sometimes you don't. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's a rambling kind of shaggy dog of a film, and you get sidetracked, and there's Sean Penn, who's not so not William Holden, yeah. and <laughs> and then you get you get Bradley Cooper, who is so apparently John Peters. Um, you know, it looks great. And if you don't know John Peters, look up John Peters. It's great. Um, but no, um, Kevin Smith has a great John Peters story. Oh yes, he does. Big spider. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, and, and, uh, by the way, I sidebar the, so Sean Penn plays an older actor named, uh, Jim Holden and he's auditioning for a movie is based on a movie that actually Holden did in 1973 called breezy. A May-December romance with a very young K lens directed by Clint Eastwood. Oh. This was the first Eastwood film that he directed and did not appear in. Didn't, didn't do a whole lot of business, but there was an actual film on that. Anyway, it's, it's like Once Upon a Time. It's a little shorter, but um, two really, really good performances by the young folks. And I, I just, I was with it. I was with it the whole time. Love the score. I, it's funny, we, we went to the movie, and then as soon as the movie was over, I went to the record store, bought my daughter the vinyl 
double soundtrack of this. And, and yeah, that's, that poster is also going to be in my door, my daughter's dorm room, <laughs> but no, I, I love licorice pizza. It's just a, like a shaggy dog love story that just screams seventies. And, and it's, as, as much as I love this film, it's still the second best Paul Thomas Anderson film set in LA in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. But it's like, dude, this movie is so awesome. And, and when I finished it, I called my buddy, like on my drive home from Indy. Um, and I called my buddy and I was just telling him about my experience and, and what I thought of it. And I was like, if I could only talk about it in Paul Thomas Anderson terms, it's like one part Boogie Nights, one part Punch Drunk Love and one part Inherent Vice. And I was like, because yeah. this is like one of the, I mean, inherent vice as well, but this is like one of the, he's like doing a comedy here. Like this mm. is a comedy, but it's a Paul Thomas Anderson comedy. So it's like not as like har har. Whereas like Boogie Nights is not so, it's funny. Like I think that's his funniest movie, but like, yeah. it's not like a comedy. It's just like the characters are ridiculous and you laugh. This one has yeah. like jokes in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but, but I think there's 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 a bit of absurdity in both of those. I mean, uh, you think about how Don Cheadle gets his money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's that kind of aspect of it. The the one of the one of the big moments in Licorice Pizza is the is this moment with the truck. So yeah. good. There's just like holy shit. And you know, my my daughter's clenching and and you could hear the audience reacting to oh my god how's this gonna you know and and bradley cooper who just kind of comes off the bench and nails a three like a crazy like a coked crazy person (laughs) and then disappears um yeah it and and by the way it it was great because i was i was asked by emma you know where was what year is this movie and i said 1973 well how do you know and i said because they crash into each other under a billboard under a marquee that says live and let die yeah (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um you know and and the without giving away too much it's it has a combination of giving you a happy ending or at least a happy ending of the moment yeah, because there's a there's a lovely moment which I just mentioned. There's a little bit of tension after that, and then literally walking off into the sunrise or sunset. Yeah, anyway. yeah. There there's uh, like uh, there are like hangout moments too. I, please, when I say this, I am not comparing it's a major these, hangout film. Yeah, I, when I say this, I am not comparing these two. But like uh, Linklater's Dazed and Confused, where you have people driving around just talking. Yeah. Like, this is very much a PTA movie. It is not like Dazed and Confused, but the hangout aspect reminded totally. me at times of that. But also, like, the romance part, like, the constantly drawn apart and then, like, but still connected, almost like the punch-drunk love aspects of it. And and Johnny Greenwood's score is so different than what he normally does in this, but it's so good. You were talking he about it earlier. Had, he also had a good year. Oh my God! Such a great year. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Licorice Pizza. There's one part I'll tell you. I'm just gonna talk about this because I talked about it in my review of it uh, on episode 64, and I uh, I talked about um, the biggest reaction that we got in the theater, and the biggest reaction was the split reaction when the uh, famous uh, restaurant owner is with his Japanese wife. Oh God! And, yes, and he does the fake Japanese accent oh, uh, at her. God. Yeah. 
And I, I literally to my right down the down the uh, down the aisle, someone went, "What the fuck?" And then someone behind me to my left also said, "What the fuck?" And like, uh, it's such a weird, like the nervous laughter that took place. Yes. You want it? It's, it's one of those things you wanted to look it up to see if that was based on somebody. It, the only other moment I had of that was. Watching Jared Leto in House of Gucci, I had to go online and look up the character he was playing. I'm like, he can't be this broad so. narrator. He's yeah. not. That. He's not that broad. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Yeah. A- there, there was that. Yeah. There was a, that. Was a big WTF moment in a film that has a, quite a few of them wrapped around these these two young crazy kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's great. And I'll tell you what really got me. That really put it this high on the list was pretty much the last third um, where I'll just say basically starting with an interaction between uh, Elena and the mayor, uh, also played by one of the Safdie yeah. brothers. Um, yes, who are, who are filmmakers. that was cool. Yep, yep, they did uncut gyms. Um, but one of the Safdie boys, uh, there's an interaction in a restaurant with those two and another person. I'll just leave that um, yeah. vague. And everything from then on, was very Paul Thomas Anderson to me and very like down my alley. And it just really, hold on. I'm choking. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it really just kind of like pushed it up for me. Just what a great yeah. ending for me. Like you said, the bittersweetness of the ending, like it's played out like it's a happy ending, but when you think about the film, it's very much an in the moment. Yeah. And there's, there's always a thing of what happens after they all live happily ever after. I mean, well, that's, that's into the woods basically, but we, you know, we talked this about, many different stories, film or play or what have you. And and this is a great example of it. I, I have to mention, I was, it was one of those things as, as film dad, I, this was my daughter's first Paul Thomas Anderson film. I, I felt bad that is, and it's just timing and she has her own opinions and ideas. I don't think she wants to watch Boogie Nights with her parents. I get that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, but I, for her, I've mentioned, I've mentioned Phantom Thread there. She sort of knows there will be blood, mm-hmm. um, has no desire to see Punch Drunk Glove because of Sandler. I've mentioned Inherit Vice, which I, I still say is Paul Thomas Anderson's Big Lebowski. If you're going to do, you know, a detective story with a lot of weed, mm-hmm. um, that's not bad. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I hope she gives Punch Drunk Love a chance. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, for listeners and you guys, my favorite living filmmaker. So oh, uh, yeah, now there are good. people I like more, but they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have your Kubricks and your Hitchcocks and people like that. Yes. But in terms of alive now, even with people like Scorsese and all these other greats, um, Paul Thomas Anderson's my dude. Uh, so, right. uh, I'm, I'm really happy he was on both of our lists, but, uh, we skipped you, Joe. So yeah, your number, yeah. four, number four, give us your number my, four. My number four, we're going to talk about, I assume coming up pretty quick, um, is the power of the dog. Yep. That's so, higher on my list. Yep. So that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's my number four. We'll, yeah, we'll, we can, we'll jump into that more okay. in a little bit. Also, we have covered this as well. Yep, yep, we covered that as well. Um, okay. Then we're back to uh, Sosi. Uh, go for your number, number three, man. My number three is Summer of Soul. Nice. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Is oh wait, are we, is this is this like a number four with you and me, Austin? No, 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 no. Uh, I did that on the last episode. That was my number six, and that was the last yeah. one I did before we cut. So oh yeah. oh yep. shit. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. So let's see. Uh, Summer Soul was the second film I saw after uh, finally breaking the streak. I think is a way of putting it. Um, 
a great documentary about a series of concerts that happened in a park in Harlem in night in the summer of 1969 happening at the same time as Woodstock as well as the moon landing and it didn't get a whole hasn't gotten a whole lot of love over the years and uh the one black eye that the film has against it was it was pushed in the advertising as never before seen footage of these performances there were a few performances that we have seen over the years, <laughs> yeah. but but we got these, and again, series of, of different one week, one weekend, it would be blues, soul, gospel, jazz. So you have, and uh, uh, Questlove is the director yep. of the documentary. Yep. We get great performances from everybody from The Fifth Dimension, B.B. King, um, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, um, Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson. So you got all this great footage of all these performers at their powers. Then you have talking heads, lowercase t, lowercase h, uh, witnesses, people who attended the concert, people who were musicians at the concert. And so you get the witness account and then you get a rundown of what was happening in Harlem, in New York City in the country and to a certain degree in the world in the summer of 1969. And I hope it doesn't, the film doesn't wait until as long as Woodstock did to reissue all of the performances. I'd be buying all of these on compact disc because I'm old. I'm hoping all the full performances, I'm hoping extended versions come out immediately. It's, um, and I know Woodstock gets all the glory and it gets all the stories, but man, seeing these concerts happening in New York, in Harlem, um, was a, it's a great cultural uh, moment that hopefully more people will now know because of this film. Yeah, I, you pretty much covered most of what I wanted to say, and I want to mm-hmm. highlight a few things. Uh, because, uh, yeah, it happened during Woodstock, uh, happened during the moon landing. I love the guy that's just like, fuck the moon landing. Like, like we have yeah. poor people here. Like, why are we wasting yep. our money on that? Um, and, yeah. and that's pretty fun. But uh, one of my favorite moments was when the fifth dimension went up. And uh, one of the, I believe it was a talking head of someone who was there was like, oh, I thought those were white people. <laughs> well, and, and they were, they caught Marilyn McCoo talks about it, that they kind of got ribbed by the community because they were doing these pop songs because they were covering songs from hair. They were doing pop songs by white artists. And, you know, it was, they weren't flying a family stone, but uh, still great vocals. And, and watching, there were two members of the band that spoke in this documentary and over 50 years after the fact, and they're tearing up over being a part of that experience. And I'll tell you this. And then, uh, Joe, I'm not forcing you, but if you have anything to say, I'll pass it off to you. No, but I'll force you, Joe. <laughs> uh, but I'll say this. I saw this a while, like way back, because this came out like early in the year. And when I watched it, and I did I did something on the show for it. I don't remember what the episode was. It was way sometime last year. <laughs> and uh, But it, my favorite thing was not too many talking heads. So oh. the talking heads provide in-person context to what's happening but secondly the cultural context of what's happening was very important and then they will let people like the gospel one it's like a 10 minute long performance you're watching like you see the whole fucking thing so it's experiential it's contextual and it's traditional in terms of talking head 
And somehow Questlove adds all three of these kind of documentary tropes. They're usually a movie will be one or the other, maybe two of them. He does all three masterfully. Yep. It's it's it honestly kind of like I almost forgot about this movie until I looked at my top 10 and it was still there. I'm like, oh, fuck, I love this movie. <laughs> well, it's funny. My my daughter saw it and I took her to see B.B. King when she was about four or five. We saw she got to see him at IU. And this is still one of my favorite moments as a movie dad. I watched her. She had never seen old footage of him. And she, I mean, in the theater went, oh my God, he's young. Yeah. And of course I went, well, younger <laughs> and yeah. thin. I said, well, thinner. <laughs> and then she goes, and he's standing. I went, yeah, he's standing. Like I've, I've seen BB King. I got to see BB King probably half a dozen times. Like the first time I saw him, he actually stood the rest of the time. He did maybe one number and then plopped down on a chair as blues grandpa. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he was, he was at his, he was at his apex musically there, but yeah. And, and she was also concerned kind of like Woodstock uh, if it was going to be just wall to wall footage, which I, I know could uh, overwhelm uh, an audience. Uh, and of course it's not three hours long, like, uh, like Woodstock was. But yeah, the balance of narrative and performance are are outstanding. Yeah, it's it's really great. Um, uh, Joe already deferred his opinion, yeah. so uh, we're gonna we'll we'll move on to um, uh, yours, Joe. Is it your yeah. number three? Yeah, my my number three is Stephen Karam's The Humans. Ah, um, oh, yes. So yeah, so this movie was like I I knew nothing about this movie, and. Uh, you know, I, I, we literally, you know, we get, we get this screener sent to us and I got this one. I was like, Oh, look, there's Steven Yeun. Wow. Amy Schumer, Richard Jenkins. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> He's the best. Richard yeah. Jenkins is so incredible in everything that he does. I, I first saw him in, in six feet under and right. that's the first time I remember him. Yeah. And every time I see him in anything, I'm like, I want to see it. I've got to see it. Does He did. He did the cabin in the woods for God's sake. Yes, he did. He's great yeah. in that. No, he's a classic example of a that guy where you yes. know him, you uh -huh. like his work, you get excited yeah. when he pops up, then you commit his name to memory. Yep. I got so goddamn excited when he got a best actor nomination for the visitor. Yeah. So and and then yeah. he yes. went right back into doing whatever he wants as opposed to just doing nothing trying to do nothing but starring vehicles right yeah yeah or or just yeah or just like chasing awards so to speak he just he right. has so many like just he's just kind of all over the place and and he's amazing he's got just a great way about him and i love him in this anyway this if, if you don't know this movie it's it's basically a a family um go so they visit the the younger daughter um, in her new apartment with her with her boyfriend, um, played by Stephen Yoon from you know uh, from uh, The Walking Dead, from uh, what was he in last year? Minari, Minari. yeah, Minari, Academy yeah, Award nominee. Now. Yeah, so yeah, so Stephen Yoon, Academy Award nominee, rightly so. Um, he's he's great in this too. Um, like I said, Amy Schumer is in it, and and this is very much kind of a non-comedic role. Yeah, and so it, it's terrific to see June her. Squibb. June Squibb is in this. Beanie Feldstein, uh, Jonah Hill's sister, uh, so to speak. You know, she was in, um, of course, she's in Booksmart. Yeah. And and this is, uh, it's funny because I was just looking at this article from The Atlantic, which calls it, calls uh, The Humans the scariest movie of the year. <laughs> it, it's not a horror movie at all. Like, uh, but, but the, you know, but it's, it's, uh, 
very accurate. Do we, so do we, it, do we put it into the it's a Thanksgiving movie argument since everybody wants to flip and do that with Christmas and other yeah, holidays? It's like whatever, you know. Sure. <laughs> yes, sure. Let's yeah, let's put sure. this on a Thanksgiving. If you mention the others, you gotta put this in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so so you know it's it's a family uh getting together in, in uh in the apartment, uh Benny, Benny Feldstein's character and, and Stephen Yoon's character's a new apartment, which is kind of a dump in a way and you know it and just as the movie progresses it's one of those movies where they're just kind of sitting around talking and you're just kind of like what's going on and then suddenly things start to unravel and people are at each other's throats and people are angry and Richard Jenkins is kind of skulking around and saying insensitive and rude things and everybody's just kind of saying rude things to each other June Squibb's character has dementia and doesn't really know what's going on and um, it's it's just, a, it's one of these movies you can kind of sit and watch. Um, and to, to me, it, it was, it was relaxing in a, in the weirdest of ways, you know, because it's like, it, because this is really everyone's family, you know, this is Hi. like everyone's Thanksgiving and it, it's, it's kind of the Thanksgiving from hell in, in a sense, but it's also everybody's Thanksgiving every year. Um, and, and I just, I loved just everything about this movie, the, the way the apartment just has, you know, it's just like the walls are cracked and just things are falling and there's weird noises and it, it's, and, it, and it's just everything about this movie is just yep. simultaneously maddening and relaxing and, you know, that, and that's totally what it's going for. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, because the, the director of this is also the writer, the playwright. Yes. Okay. And so there's always, I've always been as somebody who dabbles in theater um i'm always fascinated with how you film a play and it's not a film performance but you know what is a common practice is to take a play and open it up and you really can't do that with this one um there what so as i don't know how they built the set for it i mean it really does give a feel like you're doing cinema verite inside an old kind of brownstone apartment yep. which is it is not right. but the way they open it the way they the the camera is sometimes close and sometimes it's in another room almost yep. like a fly on the wall watching these people there's 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 like altman shots in this yep. where i had this feeling that everybody was mic'd and everybody was on and, you know, you had to work regardless of where the camera was. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was one of the best examples of opening up a play without opening a play into a film without taking it to the streets or taking it to another location or, to, you know, it was opening it up without opening it up. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I So looking at my priority list, uh, it was the next film after the killing of two lovers that I didn't get to. But I skimmed through Not it. Not a double feature. Because this no. is a this is a if you have Showtime, uh, this is a Showtime movie, um, and uh, if and uh, I kind of skimmed through it just a little. Not not far enough to ruin anything, but just to see what it looks like. It looks yeah. fucking awesome. Like yeah, I love the way it's shot. Um, and yeah, the cinema verite thing. When you said that, I was like, oh yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like it it yeah. it, it looks awesome. And that again was the next movie I was going to watch. I didn't get it in, um, but I'm excited. Uh, definitely to check that out. So yeah, it made, it made my honorable mention, and and hopefully more people will check it out. Absolutely. All right, we're on number three, so this is mine, I think. And uh, my number three is Mass, which has already been brought up. Is it higher on anyone's list? It's higher on mine. All right, we'll <laughs> we'll skip it then. Number three for me is Mass. Uh, Matthew, number two. My number two is Mass. <laughs> 
Laura, you can go Laura, ahead and start. Go for it. Set set in the basement of Bummersville Presbyterian Church. Yeah. Uh, it is. I, uh, I have to say this. Please. You you gave me you gave me uh, guff uh, jokingly for watching. Um, what were the two Bergman movies? The The Virgin Spring and Through a Glass Darkly. Don't do that. <laughs> I did a review of the box set and I told you not to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so happy and Mass just got me. I mean, this is if there was ever a movie made for Austin Glidden. Uh, I mean, I heard about this one, Sundance, when it was at Sundance. It was one of the yeah. leading, like, you got to check this out. When I read the synopsis, I was like, this is, this was actually, Joe, this is one of my uh, anticipated of the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I was not disappointed. Um, but no. uh, Matthew, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Writer, writer, directed for, writer, director, Franz, uh, Fran Kranz. You have four people, uh, Ann Dowd, Martha Plimpton, Jason Isaacs, Jared Burney. I hope I'm saying it right. And it's it's a meeting at a in a church basement of two couples. There was an incident involving their children. And I like to say, if if you know the play Gods of Carnage, which was later made into Roman Polanski's Carnage, imagine that play written and directed by Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's 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 an incident involving their two children. And how it affects their lives in different ways. Let's put it this way. The children aren't there. And the fact that you have four actors, four incredibly restrained performances. This is another example. It pretty much stays in the one spot. And the fact that you have four actors sitting. And it's all internal. And it doesn't... uh, You know what, Joey? I'll, I'll use a wrestling thing. Whenever there's a con- there's a contract signing, it doesn't turn into the end of a contract signing in wrestling. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it, yeah. you know the biggest movement that could happen is somebody raising their voice or getting out of their chair. Yeah. But why they're there is 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 a kick to the chest. Well, yeah, I well, so I've I've covered this a couple of episodes ago in episode sixty four. I did my review of it because I did a series of episodes that were like 2021 cram part, whatever. Cause I was just, how many movies can I fit in an episode? Cause I'm just mm-hmm. watching so many. And so uh, the first thing I want to say is Ann Dowd. How is Ann Dowd the greatest American actor and no one knows her until they see her face. So she's, <laughs> she's got to get into a Marvel movie. Apparently, apparently I mean. <laughs> because every time I see Ann Dowd, even since all the TV I saw her in and everything is the greatest. And in this yep. movie, she's the one that made me cry. Out of all of the moments, it yes. was it was. There's a moment toward the end, I'll say, uh, where Ann Dowd um, kind of starts showing pictures. I'll just say that. Yeah. But yep. man, that I, I just could not hold back the tears. It was her conviction, everything about it. So I've already covered this on the show. So I'm going to give away just a little bit more than you did, which is That's Jason right. Isaacs and Martha Plimpton are the parents of a victim of a school shooting. And Ann Dowd and Reed Birney are the parents of the shooter. And yes, yeah. uh, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton, those parents um, are like the only set of parents that didn't sue them. So they're mm-hmm. doing this uh, this uh, therapy thing where the therapists have put them together in this Presbyterian church. The Presbyterian church is just literally a neutral zone. And they yep. meet up and That's all slow. they do is, is talk about this incident. But the, the best part... This is the gimmick, and this is what makes it so great, because they could be yelling at each other. They could fight, but the best part is they go into it via therapy, so they're not allowed to interrogate. So it becomes about more than just you hurt my feelings, and you did bad things, and you're bad parents. We get that. 
but it's much more of this. The goal is healing, and regardless of whether it ends with healing or not, um, that changes the entire dynamic of the film. Plus, real quick, uh, uh, Fran Kranz is an actor. So this is one of those actors actor movies, right? <laughs> like uh, where it's like all performance. And uh, yeah. for me, and Dow sh like shined above everyone, and everyone's good. But she was yeah. the yeah. one that just somehow pulled like just right out of the park. It's it's yeah. something where, and I've done it where, and if you have a director who has acted, you know what it's like to be on that side of the camera or the stage, and you know the process. And I think that's that's the reason why. Besides the fact that actors like to direct, and that's been a running joke for decades, but the fact that um, some actors like to work with that because it's, there's a communication that's already there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, the far you say as far as healing, imagine. Uh, let's do it on a smaller scale. Imagine sitting at a table with somebody who trolled you, yeah, or a yeah. bully from your younger days, or whatever <laughs> adversary, whatever thing that's stuck in your crawl for decades and you were never able to shake off. Mm. You know, and and we would probably handle it worse than these four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. and Joe, I want to pass it to you in a second, but I just want to say yeah, one yeah. thing. But I want to get your thoughts because I know you've seen this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was younger, uh, somewhere I don't even remember where now. Uh, I've looked up the article before, but um, I think it was in like 2001. There were uh, there was an Amish school, and someone went into the Amish school, and sh and uh, an adult went in and <laughs> shot, like had a shooting. And killed the or injured the teacher. I think killed the teacher. Killed some of the children, and the of course the police show up. They apprehend him, so he's not killed. He's going to jail, and the parents of one of the children walk up to him and they forgive him. Yeah, and wow. and that has stuck with me my entire life. I heard about this when I was like, well, however old I was, in like sixteen yeah. or something. My mom told me this story, and uh -huh. for my whole life since then, I've been like, that's the type of person I want to be. Like, I yeah. can't say I would be, but that's who I want right. to be, right? Yeah. And yeah. so we never get in that situation. I hope, yeah, yeah get, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But because yeah. uh, oh. if, if some little, you know, 10 year old girl hurts my daughter's feelings, I'm like, kill her. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just like yeah. you know, I'm already oh, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all kinds of that. But like, yeah. but I want to, that's what I want to be. And the fact mm -hmm. that this film explores two things it explores that idea of mm -hmm. how does forgiveness work in situations like this, but also it tackles the idea of the parents of people who do terrible things are not inherently terrible, that they yes. also are going through the grief of losing a yep. loved one, but the added part of it is the social contract is you don't do that, and if your kid does that, you're a bad parent. That's like the social right. yes. thing, but yeah. in this, that's challenged by both yes. of them seeing that they're both parents dealing with loss, but the difference mm -hmm. is the parents of the victim get to do it publicly and the parents of the shooter have to do it privately. And so yes. there's a whole different dynamic. I think this is a masterpiece. I love this no, movie so much. No so parent, cool. no parents on their wedding night go, let's create a kid that's going to do a school shooting. Nope. Yes. Nobody, nobody does that. And it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, there was a bit in the news of two parents who got busted for what a kid did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, I think this is one I, I, I is required watching if you're if you're a film fan of any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And uh yeah, I, I, I like to think I I try to turn the other cheek mm -hmm. and that's easier said than done. And oh, then to 100%. watch these watch these four to do it. My God, yeah. 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 And this yeah. was the uh IFJA best film of the year 
also, just mm-hmm. to throw out there. I'm assuming, Joe, I'm assuming maybe you voted for it. I don't know. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I, 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 gave, I gave it a vote. Yeah. 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 yeah for, but uh, give us your thoughts, man. We haven't yeah. Yeah. It, I, I, yeah. And I agree with everything you guys have said. Uh, yeah. And I, I love that word that you used because I had it in my head. I was going to, I've been sitting here waiting to say it. Is it, it challenges every, every social media commenter for any news story involving a school shooting or, you know, the, those, you know, what were the parents doing? They're obviously this, just the, you know, the, the judgmental pricks of, of the world who, you know, who, who blather, you know, about what they would do if they were in this unfathomable kind of situation. And it's, it's incredible actually watching this, you know, you're, you're actually, you know, these, these parents, you're, you're in a, in a way, face to face with this situation, you know, that, that's what this movie does is it puts you in that situation. What would you do? Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, we're, we're all parents and, you know, it's, it's that situation where you're just like, you know, the, there are just people who are there, they're thinking if I could get my hands on them, you know, I would just kill them. I would just do this. I would just do X, Y, Z. And also the, the calls, those calls for prosecuting the parents of people, of children who do horrible things. And it's, what this does is it is it adds that little bit of realism. It, it puts you in those shoes for a minute because you're. This is there's you know there's a lot of movies where, um, the like you test loyalties so to speak. Um, the, there's a movie called Hard Candy that does that. In a, oh god, a much different film than this. Not but a date it, film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It, but it but it, it works similarly on a on a level that is. Uh, it's a it's a, one of those situations one of those social taboo situations where in this case it's a a, a child molester uh, an alleged child molester versus a potential victim who's got them over the barrel you know and and your loyalties are, are tested back and forth this film does that with these parents where you know you you have to sympathize with the parents of of this child who's who's been murdered in just the worst way and but then also it's not as easy as I'm just going to tear into these the parents of this kid who did this because, you know, that's the one thing we don't tend to to look at too much or even care about is that hey they've they've had that loss too like yeah. they you know they have to live with this you know they have to live with the the ultimate failure of a parent and and very likely through no fault of their own you know like they you know they, and this is what you learn about these parents is that they're not they're not these neglectful parents you know they they were very loving parents of of a child who had a very severe mental illness problems and, and they were literally asking for help and not getting it. And so there's this, you know, the, there's this, this level of understanding that you get this level of, uh, you know, we use that word, you, you guys used the word healing earlier um, where you're trying to, to heal in, in the absolute worst of emotional scars. And th- this movie does a great job of, of just dealing with that and, and just telling you, there's not really an answer. And, and uh, that, that's really what this film does so well. Yeah. It, it gives I you think, that back and forth and shows you things. I think know, it's also sides. important to mention, basically adding on to what you said, that this mm-hmm. is not a film about resolution per se. It's not about right. will they resolve this issue? Of course they're not. Okay. Like this right. is much bigger than that. It's about the yes. challenge, the challenge yes. that you're talking about that we brought up. Mm-hmm. It's the challenging of these ideas and yeah. watching these families deal with, with every aspect of it, because they go, th- they run the gamut with every, like you were saying, Matthew, like, like it's like a battling a social media comments feed about something, you know, like they they hit all the the big hits, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they challenge those ideas 
I think this is just really, really great. There's a couple of things. I, I think I mispronounced earlier, but it's Reed Bernie who plays. Reed Bernie, uh, yeah. Actors. But uh, it's funny. A couple of nights ago, um, we had we were doing movie night with the family, and um, I showed my daughter Ron Howard's Parenthood. Uh-huh. Martha and Plimpton. Which, which went over great. And this is a reaction. Of, I mean, I love Martha. Pl- I remember Martha Plimpton from The Goonies. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that she is involved and gone on and done. She's done theater. And I know she did a series, which sadly I never watched. But, you know, to watch her in this. And remember, the opening scene is Steve Martin dreaming about his kid, you know, uh, you know, getting a prize or mm-hmm. going off at a, at a high school grad. And, you know, that's the dream and the nightmare that a parent has. Yeah. So the fact that that happens in this film and she's in it and now yeah. it's come around full circle with her playing a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fun little, fun little tidbit there. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, and, and of all the movies to have her kind of come back into the kind of the consciousness, it, it's, it was just it's it almost feels random, but it she's terrific in this too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. just every dude, just everyone's so good, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's move on. That was uh, that was Sosie's number two, right? Correct. So, yeah. Joe, what's your number two, man? Uh, my number two uh, that we we have mentioned. Uh, my number two is Joe Wright's Cyrano. Hey! Okay. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> you guys yes. may talk about it. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I love Peter Dinklage in this movie. Yes, he, he is. Uh, now, I most of my now I'm, I'm going to admit most of my knowledge of of this story is surface level. I've seen Roxanne. That's fine. Steve Martin. Um, so I don't like. I didn't have a great knowledge, a, a deep knowledge of of the, the source material. Um, but I love what they did here. Um, you know, obviously using Peter Dinklage instead of, you know, the the nose thing from Roxanne, you know, he's obviously he's a little person. I love but I I love the kind of the wrinkle that they don't really get into that, uh, you know, that, that Christian is black in this film. Kelvin Harrison Jr. plays yep. uh, plays him and and they are, um, you know, they're, they're both kind of vying for the affections of, of Haley Bennett's Roxanne. That that's a great a great way to do it. And and having him having Cyrano as he's like, in a way, this man's man, he, you know, he, he goes and he totally. challenges, yeah, he challenges, you know, that this, this performance and he, and he basically just like kicks the crap out of everybody <laughs> in this like weird, like sword fighting action scene. <laughs> and then, you know, then, 10 guys in another scene. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the rest of the movie is just kind of this romance thing, you know, the, the, you know, the, the forbidden romance kind of thing. I, and, and it's a musical, another musical. Yep. Uh, and, and I just, I just enjoyed this so much. It just, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, a, it, you know, it, it feels like, it feels like an art house movie, but it's at the same time, it's so accessible. It was so accessible to me as, you know, with, with my meathead sensibility. <laughs> 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 that I can yeah, just, hey, second it. Dog. Yeah, just watch it and enjoy it and you know and uh, you know not have to you know it's 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 got layers to it but they're also there kind of on display um and it's it was just so much fun um and and it, it kind of it it had the it has the right emotional connections and it has yeah. the the right little bit of comedy um and and it doesn't and and it is but it does it never feels um, exploitative of of the the character, especially you know, given the way that they 
you know, use Peter Dinklage in this film. It's not exploiting him. It's, you know, but it, it's, it's respectful. Correct. At the same, you know, so, um, yeah, so, so go ahead. I'm kind of rambling at this point. No, no, you're fine because um, uh, Dinklage's wife did the screenplay. Okay. For yeah. this, if I remember right. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, this, this was, this was number seven on my list. And when I saw that they were doing this and I saw the trailer. Yeah. Cause I've been a Dinklage fan since station agent. Uh-huh. And what, what has been great is Peter has been very, very smart about picking roles mm-hmm. that are, that are interesting to him. Like I, I use the example of still my favorite live action Vin Diesel performance is Sidney Lamette's find me guilty. Uh-huh. And Dinklage plays a lawyer in it. Yeah, and yeah. there's a moment where he has to do his opening arguments and there's uh, some steps for him mm-hmm. to address the jury and the, and the judge. And that's all it said. That's all it said. Nothing has to be, has, you know, they, he's done those films where they acknowledge his size because, you know, whether it's, um, uh, God, uh, the Narnia sequel or the station agent, um, I, and of course he, you know, owns Game of Thrones. Yes. So the fact that they found a way, because not just, it's not just the nose thing, friends. If you don't know the story of Cyrano de Bergerac, uh-huh. whatever is your giant nose, that's how you relate to Cyrano. Yes. And, you know, he's, I've uh, seen him on screen and off as very smart, very quick. And the fact that he got to do this, he got to kick ass he got to write poetry. The yeah, and 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 Joe, there's nothing wrong with Roxanne's a, one of the best adaptations of Cyrano de Bergerac. I mean, you can watch you can watch Jose Ferrer's film, which is fine, and Gerard de Perdue's film, which is fine. And there's a radio version with uh, Kenneth Branagh as Cyrano and uh, <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston is Christian. Oh, I still quote Hiddleston as Christian. There's a moment where you know they're doing the famous, the second famous balcony scene in theater in literature. Mm-hmm history yeah and she says you know tell me how much you love me and christian because he's short on words just goes oh very much (laughs) (laughs) you know so this the story's the story's still strong it's still timeless and and yeah the fact that there's it's it's there's music in it i you know it's one of those things you could say is it a musical or is it not Mm -hmm. dinklage has sung before I, somebody called me out because this might be my favorite his musical performance. But let's not forget Space Pants from Saturday Night Live. Well, I was going to mention that. Yeah. I, <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Here's my side. Okay. Yeah. Um. So a couple of years ago, I th- this is random. A couple of years ago, I bought um some pairs of compression tights as no. like, as like under you know like to wear under my my pants when it's super cold, and one of them has stars all over them and you bought space pants i bought space (laughs) i got them i opened them i was like i have space pants and i found that skit okay on a regular basis i will i will cue up the space pants song that peter dinklage did from saturday night live if you don't know it please go do it look it up i i've now i've i'm i'm gonna it's gonna this is gonna be this is like edging up to weird to weirdness but i will go into my kids wearing those tights play i'll blare the song and i'll jump in and i'll do like this crazy dance i've literally i'm I'm gonna say this but if i i like i coached this kid in baseball for three years like i could get away with this with him he's one of my son my youngest son's best friends he was spending the night one night and i came in and i dropped my pants wearing those underneath 
and did this dance to all of them. And they just, my kids like start screaming with, with good reason because it's horrible and ridiculous and something no one should really see. But, um, but I love doing that um, to my kids. It's like my favorite way of torturing my kids is I'll, I'll go in and I'll be like space pants and I'll start dancing and it was, you know, wearing my tights and they immediately start screaming. If, if I remember right, I believe the space pants SNL sketch was like the, uh-huh. it was, it, I think it's one of the high, it, it was like the last half hour. It, uh-huh. it was a sketch that screams the last half hour of the show. Yes. And somebody uh-huh. should do a ranking of the best last half hour of the show. Yeah. sketches. Anyway, Cause they're, cause they're designed to be the worst. Yeah. Or it, the weirdest. So yeah, or the, yeah, just the weirdest. And, yeah. and so anyway, going back to Cyrano, any form of classical literature, and Joe Wright has done films of Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, mm-hmm. um, uh, Atonement, of course. This, uh, is his, this is his genre, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. and he did, it's funny, because he did a modern picture earlier this year, Woman in the Window, but but this is a great example of non-traditional casting. As you said, like, you know, you know Kelvin Harrison Jr. is Christian, uh-huh. Haley Bennett is Roxanne, uh-huh. and, and, you know, you got Dinklage is, is Cyrano, so it opens it up for everybody. Uh-huh. Ben Mendelsohn is also in it. We talked about him earlier. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. You know, he's, this is kind of his wheelhouse. I want him to do more romantic comedies. I know he did one a while, a couple of years ago that I saw and a lot of, not a lot of people did, but he needs to be a wacky dad in a show sometime soon. <laughs> did but, you guys yeah. ever, a quick caveat, did you ever see The Year My Voice Broke, the Australian movie with Ben Mendelsohn? I believe so. The first thing I noticed him in was Animal Kingdom, like a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, yeah, he was like a teenager. He's like, young He's and, and forever and, yeah it, it the year my voice broke like jackie rules. weaver i'm just saying yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to find really because it's just one of those that really never made it here you know what i mean like but it, yeah. it, occasionally you'll find it somewhere it's it's really it, great. it was it was a it was an australian film that wasn't in the osploitation documentary not quite hollywood you got it yep yep and yep. it's 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 really great um but yeah i love atonement also joe wright is one of those dudes that's like back and forth like Sometimes I love his movies and sometimes I'm not as big on him. But when he hits, he hits. And I'm excited to see this because you guys are talking. And I saw a trailer for it when I saw Licorice Pizza because it was going to be showing at uh, that theater. So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm down. I'll check it out. Cool. All right. So uh, that was Joe's number two. That means it's my Mm -hmm. number two. And then we're on to uh, the last round. My number two is Come On, Come On. All is this right. higher on a new? <laughs> it's higher on mine. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because I'm a guest, I'm gonna yield the floor to you. So this is your number and, one, uh, Matthew. It's come on, my number one's come on, come on. Okay, all right, all right. So, yeah. Come on, ahead. come on's my number two. Um, I saw Mass and Come on, Come on like the same, not the same week, but like pretty close together. And I saw Mass first. Good. And I was uh, super into that. But then I saw Come On, Come On, and it had uh, this different, like, it was really heavy also <laughs> at times. Um, but at the same time, it carried uh, this really awesome performance uh, by Woody Norman, the, the kid, um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, how how the, he interacts with uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character. Uh, that relationship, of course, is the cornerstone of the film. I mean, that is, they're on the poster is the whole point of the movie uh but uh gabby hoffman's great too scoot mcnary is in it like didn't even really say words you just see him in these like little scenes of 
of uh, Woody Norman's uh, father who is struggling with uh, bipolar disorder, and he's going through an episode right now. Gabby Hoffman uh, is there with Skip Mc- or Scoot McNary. Um, I believe, from the sound of it, I don't remember, but I think they were separated, but she's going so he doesn't hurt himself yeah. to help him get uh, actual like professional help. So Joaquin Phoenix, who was an estranged brother but has now come back into their lives, uh, agrees to take Woody Norman, uh, Gabby Hoffman's son, uh, to uh, basically take care of him while his parents are kind of working uh, some of uh, some of the bipolar episode stuff out. And and it's the classic, like, he doesn't know how to be a dad, but he has to kind of be this father figure. But he's also the cool uncle who's like this, yeah. like, documentary audio filmmaker guy. And you know what I mean? Like, he, he, yeah. it, it has all of that. But, man, there's something about Mike Mills. You know, he did Thumbsucker. He did 20th Century Women. He did Beginners, which I love. Yes. Yeah. Um, even if his movies seem typical in any way or if we've seen that story before, he has a way of writing people. That makes it just so elevated. And when I saw Come On, Come On, um, even with my number one, I, I never this that uh, in 2021 did I have that um, emotional response to a movie. Was Come On, Come On. Mass was just so heavy, right? That yeah, you, you, it's almost like you can't not feel something watching that. Come On, Come On earned it. If you get what I mean by the different, of course, yeah. Mass does, but you know what I mean? Like that. Again, it's kind of like written into the content, right? But Come On, yeah. Come On doesn't have to be, and yet it is. And the final scene, which I will not talk about, but the final scene, uh, I never cried during this movie, but God damn it, I felt a whole lot of emotions. And that last scene is, uh, it, it, it wrecked me. So yeah. Um, yeah. again, talk about, this isn't really like a Bummerville movie, really, even though it is sad. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I mean, yeah. it doesn't fit in the same way as The Mass. <laughs> But um, but it definitely fits into the uh, the Austin style. So Matthew, we can we can all bounce off of this one because I know we've all seen yes. it. But I want to pass it off to you since it was your number one. Yeah, it's funny because Mass was my number one until I saw Come On, Come On. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I I keep thinking of that like oh so if I was if I was a pessimist, Mass would be my number one, and if I'm an optimist, it's Come On, Come On, and it bring it brought out the inner optimist in me, but still it's a rough ride for mm-hmm. uh, for Johnny and Viv and Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of those that another thing I could relate to as an uncle. Um, by the way, don't watch this with you can count on me if you're doing uncle films. <laughs> so. <laughs> Or really anything with Kenneth Lonergan. But um, but yeah, this is it, it's funny. I it's my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance in a while. I tend to lump him, I tend to refer to him as a performance artist like Shia LaBeouf and James Franco. And uh, you can take your Joker Oscar and shove it up somebody's ass. This this was far better than what he did last year. Yeah. Um, but but the 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 thing of being with a child especially if it's not your blood. I mean, it is your blood, but it's your, it's your nephew as opposed to your son or daughter. And there are, there's, and we do this with our kids, with other kids that we work with is, you know, there are moments of greatness and then there are moments that you want to strangle each other, not Mm -hmm. just him, but you as well, because Mm -hmm. he, you're not letting him do what he wants and he's not doing what you want. Um, it just, it really, really resonated with me as a, as an adult. And, and not just because, Joaquin is an NPR uh, interviewer. Thank you for that representation. Saturday Night Night Live can kiss my ass. Uh, (laughs) But no, it just, it really, really hit home. 
Yeah. And yeah. I was really happy to make the trip. And yeah, I'm with you on, on the films of Mike Mills. Um, 20th Century Women is a favorite in our household. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really glad this was made. Yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's great. Uh, Joe, I'll pass it off to you in just a second. I just want to say yeah, yeah. Um, that another thing about this, though, is it, it, it is almost a parent film, even though, again, he is the uncle. But he's struggling with a lot of things that any of us parents have experienced. Like you said, Matthew, yeah. like the kid refusing to do it. And it's like, what do you do? Like, like, yeah. like how do you do this now? Uh-huh. And but but the way they do it is the most 21st century parenting. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, this is a very yeah, yeah. modern, very progressive parenting um, Gabby Hoffman's Viv is just like, you know, no, you don't do this with him because he'll do this. And she's like coaching him at times. But it's like mm-hmm. it's like them standing across from each other and Joaquin Phoenix saying, I don't like you right now. Like, yeah. be honest. Like, how do you feel? And the kid's just like, I don't like you either. And like, just being yeah. able to talk through it. Like, I love that it wasn't just these people being at odds, but it's them right. working it's, through these things. It reminds me of the scene in Kramer versus Kramer. I was I was nine when that came out. And there's the famous moment with Justin Henry and the ice cream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he Hoffman is trying to be because he dad, he was, uh, you know, at, uh, a working dad. So he's not at home. And, yeah. you know, he's got the ice cream. We've all been there. You know, he's like, you, you put the ice cream in your mouth. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. And, and then finally he does it. Hoffman loses it, grabs the kid, marches mm-hmm. him to his room. And that's the first time I heard a child go, I hate you. And then the father going, well, I hate you back, you little shit. Yeah. And yeah. that as a nine year old blew my mind. And yeah. so that is that dynamic of, yeah, like you mentioned, of, or, or there are times in our household, it's like, I love you. I don't like you right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that really, really resonates. It's why you mentioned Gabby Hoffman. That's another one like Martha Plimpton. We know we're old world critics now. I knew her when she was this small doing yeah. this film. And so cool that she's getting some notices in this. And I, one other thing I'm sorry, I mentioned about, come on, it's gorgeous. Black yeah, and white yeah, photography, yeah. you can have black and white films. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and this is another great example for that argument. There were a lot yeah. this year. But anyways, Joe, you got to yeah. see Come yeah. On, Come On before me, and I was jealous. <laughs> yeah. What'd you think yeah, of this so, movie, man? Yeah, the, yeah the, the thing about this movie is that the, the plot of the movie, the structure of the movie is not anything new. Like this has been, this is a well-worn kind of, you know, kind of thing. It's art house, uh, uncle Buck. Yeah. It's art house, <laughs> uncle Buck Dutch. I'm thinking about Dutch with Ed O'Neill oh, Dutch, and, yeah. you know, from the, the early nineties, which I love. It's one of my, it's one of my, I want to call it my, one of my favorite movies, but it's one of my favorite kind of guilty pleasure movies. Uh, you know, it's, it's a kind of a quasi John Hughes movie uh, with, with Al Bundy. Ed know, O'Neill, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, as, a, as an Al Bundy kind of thing. Um, and this is, you know, this is very much a take. And, and even then that movie was, you know, even in 1991, whenever that came out, that wasn't, you know, that even then it wasn't a new kind of story, but it, it's this, it, it's this, a, a man who, you know, is doing his thing, living, living his life, uh, the bachelor life or, you know, whatever, however you want to say it. Um, you know, he's used to doing things his way. He's suddenly saddled with a child that that's not really his, but kind of is his now. And, you know, he's got to kind of de- just deal with that and muddle through. But yeah, the, the, the wrinkles that Mike Mills throws into this are, is great yeah, with, yeah. you know, that, you know, we talked about the mental health things with Scoot McNary's character and, and maybe even, maybe even some hints that Jesse kind of has maybe a little bit of that, 
they, you know, they, I, I don't think they say that he's got autism, um, but they, they don't say that he doesn't either necessarily. Um, and, you know, and he's certainly, you know, and at times he's certainly a little shit, you know, he's not, you know, he's not just, a, you know, an innocent kid with, with a guy who doesn't know how to handle him. He's a handful, right. You know, his mom knows it, you know, he knows it. there's, you know, the, the relationship between Viv and Johnny also is, is really interesting because, you know, like, like you said, they had been estranged sort of, they'd been apart for a while. Um, Johnny's kind of the black sheepish kind of guy from the family who's, you know, off doing his own thing. Uh, you know, you could call him selfish if you wanted. He's out living his life and not staying with his family. But, you know, now he's thrust in the middle of it and he's got to make up for all that right now. And, um, you know, and, and he certainly does some off the wall quasi he doesn't not kidnap him in this movie <laughs> you know when, when he takes him back to new york but um it, it just everything in this movie clicks and everything works that you know you you mentioned the black and white uh the cinematography is fantastic it looks great um it's it's just it's another it's a movie that's it feels breezy almost when you're watching it it's the kind of movie you can almost just sit there and just watch and just enjoy it without thinking too much about it and it kind of just sucks you in and makes you think about these things as you're going along to the point that you almost don't even realize you're doing it. And all of a sudden you're exploring all of these issues in your head. And, and what you were really doing is just watching this movie about some guy that has a kid that's not his, that he's got to take care of. Well yep. said. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's less than two hours, which is kind of a, a marvel. <laughs> But no, it's uh, the thing See, about I know this, what you're doing, and I don't like. <laughs> no, no, actually, I wasn't. Yeah. But that's funny. There are two. There are two things I want to say about this. One, if my kid was ever in New York with me, and I I looked one way and turned around, and they were gone, and oh, then I God. found them, and they were mad at me, I'd murder oh. them. So like, yeah. <laughs> like that. Wait, that not, was so frustrating. Since, Go ahead. Yeah, not since Crazy Heart. Was uh-huh. there a, a tense moment about a missing kid where that there? Yeah. That thing of you turn and then they're gone, dude. That, that but, uh, but, but how that resolves like uh-huh. upset me, like in a, in a good, like a compliment to the film. But I mean, like I was just like, dude, if that ever happened to me, but the uh-huh. other thing too, is you're talking about how good this movie looks, which it does. Uh, mm-hmm. But this yeah. movie sounds awesome. And by that, I mean, he is an audio recording engineer yeah. and there yes. are scenes where you hear it through the, the uh, headphones, what the because because uh, Jesse the kid uh, runs around with it all the time, and he likes to record things and whatnot. And how they not only use that in the film, but also how it is used narratively. And you guys know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about because you've seen it. God yeah. damn it! This is a really really great movie. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah. indeed. All right, uh, that sums up. Come on, come on. I think that was my number uh-huh. two. That was Matthew's number one. We're to Joe's number one. No, no Joe, no. we're here. I can't wait to kill you. I'm going to text gonna, you. I love Joe, it because I, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I just want to throw – I just uh-huh. want to poke the hornet's nest. What, uh-huh. yeah. What's your favorite, Joe? What's you're your favorite? Gonna, yeah, you're, yeah, it won't mean as much to you. Uh, I mean, it will. It certainly will. Hey, Austin, what's but, his favorite? You know what? You know what? And I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And I'm going to just be completely unapologetic about it. Um, we've we've talked about Austin and I covered this topic in in a podcast uh, earlier this year, debated it to death, and you know we we had to leave it at agree to disagree. I guess you know to some extent, but um, you know I you know I mentioned how underwhelmed I was with this movie. Um, I was also very underwhelmed for the most part this year with um, with the Marvel movies, my favorite genre. 
until Spider-Man No Way Home came out. I watched this movie. Uh, I well, so so our friends Nick Rogers and Evan Dossie saw this movie. They went to Cincinnati and watched it. And and Nick said, "You're gonna give this movie a thousand stars, Joe. You're gonna love this movie so much." I heard all the rumors about this movie. I heard all, and I thought this is the dumbest idea. Like we already did this idea. Like this movie has been done. Like I'm really disappointed. I really want Spider-Man as my favorite superhero. I was like, this is this is not gonna end well. God damn it, they pulled it off. My number one movie of the year. I don't give a damn what anybody thinks. Spider-Man: No Way Home. I've gotten the title wrong 8 million times, but I love that movie to death. I love everything about it. I cried during this movie, not during the part you think if you saw it, not during the part you think. <laughs> and my daughter has watched it six times. I'm not joking. My daughter's watched it six times. I'm jealous of her because I've only seen it once. Um, this movie, it does everything for me. It's, it's a crowd pleaser. It takes a franchise that I love and hate and love and love the, the thing of like the, the big franchise of my life. And they sum up everything perfectly. They take all the mistakes they've ever made, fixed them all. They cross genres, they cross studios. They don't care. They just did whatever the hell they wanted. And, and I loved every second of it. And I, there's not in a, in a movie that in a year that I found to be very weak. Yes. It's my third year in a row for picking a Marvel movie. Screw you. I don't care. I love this movie and I love it. And I'm going to go watch it again and I'm going to buy it someday, even though I also have Disney plus and well, I probably, I don't know if I'll be able to watch it on Disney plus because you can't watch the rest of them. I don't know. I'm going to own it and I love it. And I don't care what anybody thinks. And that's probably all we have to say about that. <laughs> oh, I, I do. I, Austin, what do you think? <laughs> no, no. Well, I'll say this uh, on episode 29, we covered the MCU. We had the MCU uh, debate. And um, I got on Letterboxd one day, and I saw that you gave this movie a five-star rating. And I thought, uh -huh. I bet this will be on his list. I didn't know where. Uh -huh. So last <laughs> night, my wife and I went to the theater during a pandemic, uh -huh. which I don't do much. And we uh -huh. saw this movie in preparation because I was trying – like, I wouldn't have predicted C Cyrano or, like, some of the others. But this is one where I was like, I think this is going to be on his list. I'll try to see it before. It would be uh -huh. cool. So we went to the theater and saw it last night. Uh -huh. And um, all I'll say is this, uh, and I don't think it's bad. I, I'm not. I'm not uh -huh. gonna give it a ton of shit. Uh -huh. um, uh, but I think the concept is awesome. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, I won't speak to the execution, which is the big debate we had pretty much that entire episode. Yeah. Um, but man, my nostalgia was rocking, homie. Uh -huh. Like that's yeah. it's it's a big banger, and I love how much you had to like preface and talk about that. And uh -huh. I just love that you love it so much. Like, I don't care how I feel about it. Sincerely, uh -huh. yeah. um, I love that this is your number one because it's a very yeah. you pick, and I love that. Uh, yeah, my my daughter has not ha – she, she has watched several of the Marvel movies with me, uh, with, you know, and my other two kids. Um, she saw some of the other – the previous movies. That not, I was surprised, honestly – that my kids really don't remember the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. Um, they kind of remember the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, but not really. My daughter especially mostly only remembers the newer ones. And she was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, and she was, you know, not really into it that much. Then she saw this and she was like, oh my God, 
And she's, I'm not joking. She saw it six times and it blows my mind. I still don't understand why, like how she has latched onto it so much. She's a, she's a freshman in high school. Um, she's never really been that big of a fan. She's seen a bunch of them, but she just keeps, and this is like part, so much of my excitement, you know, was, was in seeing how much she loved it. Um, but, you know, and, I mean, you know, we'll go and, you know, the, the things that the, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, and this is another movie that would talk about spoiling or not spoiling. Um, I mean, IMDB lists these certain people in the film that, that are in the film that have been hotly debated as whether they're in the film or not. Um, let's just say it, the other two Spider-Man are in this movie. And I just thought there is no way in hell this is going to work. There is no way it's going to work at all. It's going to be ridiculous and it's going to be stupid. And they give, just give it all the proper amount of, they give it the proper amount of respect. They give it the proper amount of ridicule. And they, they again, reinforce my continuing belief that Andrew Garfield's the best Spider-Man, best movie Spider-Man. Um, in just do things that are terrific and have just wonderful little emotional beats here and there that mean a lot it, you know, to, to people who have been fans of these movies, even if you hated some of them, which I do disliked a few of them. Uh, Matthew, um, go ahead. I have a comment, two, but you go ahead first. Yeah. Two, two, two questions and a comment, two comment, two questions and a command really. Uh, okay. Uh, as a, uh, as the dad of a daughter, Joe, uh-huh. does she like Tom Holland? <laughs> she loves Andrew Garfield. Oh really? Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. She, all right. She all right. Likes so Tom Holland. She there, I just just check in. I I somebody who's been there. Says it. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Here's it. I haven't seen it. Uh-huh. I, I I got caught up in other things. Yeah. Um. Do you know the James Bond theory that it's not the same person? Yes. It's is is yes. that this? That's this. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and cool. Yeah. It, all right. I, I, I mean, I'll, I can I can spoil that. I mean, and because I, it's not even spoiled because the the trailer does it. it right. It's, they open a multiverse, and and these bad guys come from another, essentially the other dimensions, right? And then the, okay. the Spider Man also come over, and so there's three guy three guys known as Peter Parker who are Spider Man who are fighting okay. together simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, here, I, and here's my daughter peeking oh. in with a giant grin on her face. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> and I, I guess I'm obligated to say this: Tell Aunt May to call me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this. Um, first off, uh, I agree, even though I don't think his films are the best. I think Andrew Garfield was my favorite uh, Spider-Man, yeah. though I do like Tom Holland and I liked yeah. Tobey Maguire. The Tobey Maguire first two movies are my favorite Spider-Man movies. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved Andrew Garfield as yeah. Spider-Man. And yeah. so there's yeah, a scene. A yeah. uh, all I'll say is um, there is a scene where Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man catches a character that mm-hmm. fell. Uh-huh. And his response to that moment, because mm-hmm. of what happened in his films, yes, is actually that was probably Dude. the most emotional okay. moment uh, mm-hmm. that I I felt uh, in that in that. And I yeah. just want to say this: one of the things I have a big complaint about a lot of Marvel movies where they have too many fucking villains, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> for a movie to have like seven villains or however many uh-huh. are in this, the, they the do it six. fairly well six. because. Yeah. The yeah. villains are not the focus. They are yes. a plot device, essentially, uh-huh. for Spider-Man to grow. I will give that. Again, execution I have issues with. But sure. the ideas and concepts, I actually like. And part of it's probably nostalgia. But uh, uh-huh. 
I, yeah. I, I, I love that this is your number one. I sincerely do. That, that's not sarcastic. I didn't I, I expect should, it, but that's, uh, that's cool. Joe, I think we should all do our number of ones with screw you all the hell with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was, it's funny because I was sitting here and I was like, how, how do I do this with this movie as my number one? Like, how do I do, like, it's going to, it's ridiculous, right? Like, surely it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a smash hit. Obviously it's, it's like, I don't know, the eighth highest grossing film of all time to date. And it's like, great, you know, but, you know, at the same time, I'm just like, I, I can't, like, I, you know, the number I've seen, I think, 60 something movies from last year, which is lower than usual for me, but, you know, is, is still a relatively, you know, solid sample. Uh, it's still a relatively solid number of films to see in a given year. Um, and I was just like, I didn't, there, I, I, there's nothing I can put ahead of it in, you know, and the same way with the Avengers movies I gave it to the last couple of years as well. But I, this is not something I'm just going to do every year. It's not something I, before Infinity War, I'd ever oh, done. We're going to bust your chops about it though, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah, but, oh, you're gonna, I, I, I mean, I, I've been, I've been taking flack about real steel for 15 years or <laughs> we all we all have these man we all, it, it's timing is it's where you are it's the i don't give a shit it's my list that kind of we all do these we yeah. all have these so yeah. you know just stand your ground on that, yeah. that. I, was, I decided you know you what? heard me recommend you called me a cinematic sadist because of a certain <laughs> interview i did on i mean well i mean i see your tv in the background the room is playing again <laughs> Yeah, so we, we this is how we bust each other's shops. So yes, yeah, enjoy it, embrace it. Yeah, and I will say this: despite whether I agree or disagree with you, I will uh, never judge you for uh, liking something you like. So uh, I might make I fun will. of you sometimes, <laughs> but I, I honestly don't mean to uh, to ever push no, you away from it. I love that. I, I, I love it. your love. Um, so is that me now? Are we to me? It's you, man. Are we to the last pick? Moment of truth. Let's, let's go to the front frontier. It's yeah, it's the movie that was on all of our lists, but mine was number one. It is The Power of the Dog by written and directed by Jane Campion, based on a book by Thomas Savage. Uh, the mm -hmm. cast, Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith McPhee. Uh, you can stream this on Netflix. Uh, Joe and I talked about it on the same time we talked about Tick, Tick, Boom. It was uh, yeah. episode 61. Um, this is basically hey. a film. There's a lot to this movie. Yeah. We, yes. we both have a Benedict Cumberbatch movie as number one. So there we go. Jesus Christ. Ah, okay. Um, so uh, <laughs> yours made more money. One of our picks is right, though, Joe. But it, no, I'm just kidding. If you're, if you're doing the, uh, yeah, if you're doing box office mojo fantasy movies. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's about a charismatic rancher, Phil Burbank, who uh, inspires fear and awe and all around him when his brother <laughs> brings home a new wife and her son. Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. This movie is about so much. We covered this on our. Uh, on our episode, we went pretty in depth too, because, and I'll let you in on this, Matthew. Uh, when we talked about it, we actually exposed a lot of things that I mm -hmm. kind of disclaimed mm -hmm. early on because uh, this film doesn't really tell you anything it's about. It is all subtext. And so mm -hmm. we were essentially giving our uh, interpretations of it. Ah. Um, so we went pretty far. We don't have to go that far this time, but since you're the only one that people haven't heard from would you mind doing the honors and you know <laughs> spilling the beans on some power of the dog love and we'll jump in as we see fit dude this movie's totally gay 
Um, no, it's, this was, this was number six on my list. And it's funny, uh, Austin, I have that page up myself. So, uh, as far as on IMDb, yep. what I love is funny. I have to go back a little bit. When I was in college, I had a professor, a theater professor, and it still kind of bugs me to this day. I, I, uh, if you mentioned the genre Westerns, this professor would, would throw their hand up and just go Dustin horses. Mm-hmm. And that's such a, that's such an unfair sweep with, you know, with your hand. It's the stories that happen to be set in the West, whether it's the Oxbow incident or Red Rider or something that's maybe not a traditional Western like Brokeback Mountain um, or the Three Burials of McKinnis Estrada. Uh, Power of the Dog is in that group. It looks like a Western. It's way more than that. So the dynamics between siblings and men and women and men and boys and what a man should be and what a boy should be. And everybody in it is really good. And I'm really glad Jane Campions, this is her first feature film in what, 12 years. And I know she was doing, she was doing a series. Um, you know, I think I, I was, I was in college when the piano came out. So, you know, this was one of those things that Jane Campion film was an event. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I, I was really excited to watch this um uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has done quite a bit and yes he's done you know a film that made more money than this mm-hmm. but if you look through his and and the uh what was it the the Wayne picture the atomic world um you know he's not played anything like this before and I'm reminded Kirsten Dunst is getting older and so are we. We talked about Gabby Hoffman and, and uh, Martha Plimpton. You know, we remember her from interview with the vampire and little women and she's great in this. I, I, I used to say, if I, if I ran a universe, um, Albert Brooks would be getting $20 million a picture. I think Jesse Plemons would be the same way. Yeah. You know, so I want Jesse Plemons to get Marvel money. I want him to get just ridiculous money. And um, Oh God, what's the, the boy. Um, uh, Cody Spent McPhee. Yeah. Yes, and yes, you and I, I have to see he's he's another one of those where I gotta find out what else he's done. But he's he goes toe-to-toe with the hurricane as Benedict Cumberbatch and, and the others. And so the dynamics and what is said and what isn't said, and a really lovely ending, really lovely twist. Mm-hmm. It's just a it, for me, it's a fun film. I know it's probably not the best adjective, yeah. but um I get giddy when a film works. You know, even something as, as heartbreaking as mass, I'm like, God, or the humans, mm-hmm. I'm like, God damn, this is working. This makes yeah. me very excited. Yeah. yeah. And I went into The Power of the Dog not knowing anything. Uh-huh. Like, I knew nothing about this. I just yeah. knew it was a Jane yeah, Campion favorite. movie, as I talked about in our episode, so I won't, like, talk on and on about it. But um, I usually, I, I see, uh, when I think of good actors, I see two categories. I'm simplifying, but still... I see the actors that disappear into their roles. So we're talking about Daniel Day-Lewis's and people like that. And then there are others that are performative, but it's still very good. So I think of someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, where I never really see him as someone else. He's always Leo playing this character, but I just really love him. And that's great, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has been hit and miss for me in the past. And he's that latter category, someone that, oh, that's Benedict Cumberbatch playing this guy, but he's just good at it, right? But yeah, this movie is probably my favorite performance he's ever done. Like, I, I can't think of anything I've seen at least that I like more um, because it's there's a, such a level of depth. I listened to his WTF with Mark Maron episode, and he goes on and on about how he prepared for this and 
and uh, what what he sees the film as and how he sees Phil Burbank, which is maybe a little different than definitely than Mark Maron, who just kept saying stuff. And Benedict Cumberbatch is like, I don't see it that way. <laughs> there was like a lot of like like that kind of almost debate about this character, you know. Um, but I just love that that can happen in this movie, too. Like it is open ended or not open ended, but um, it is uh, open enough that you can have these interpretations of these characters and kind of uh, feel sympathy uh, or empathy for certain characters and especially characters that are downright rotten. Like yeah. Phil Burbank is a rotten character and it's amazing yeah, yeah. what Campion can do. By by just giving you like one detail and you go oh fuck wow I get off. why he's this way you know what I mean Absolutely. this film it looks like it was shot on film to me which is the most pretentious thing I'll say this whole episode but there's something <laughs> about like this doesn't look like um, a Marvel movie Joe <laughs> just kidding right. <laughs> No, this doesn't look like... He's like, got to go back in time and get all the rings and the stones together to make the prairie yeah. frontier. No, 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 but like like watching something like... I'm looking uh, through... Like uh, like No Time to Die. I'm, I liked No Time to Die a lot, okay? The it's Bond movie. So, yeah. But that looks like a digital movie to me. Like I'm watching it and yeah. it just looks like there's something very, very modern. I feel mm -hmm. like The Power of the Dog 50 years from now is going to be timeless. Like the way that this looks... It just looks like a fucking Western. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just yeah. looks timeless to me. I just yeah. love the way it looks. Johnny Greenwood's score, I've listened to many yeah. times just in the car. Um, mm -hmm. It's incredible. Matthew, what are you trying to say, man? No, it's funny. I was, as um, last week, because of the death of Peter Bogdanovich, I revisited the last picture show, which everybody should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's funny you mentioned that because Power of the Dog is the exact same format um bogdanovich loved old school hollywood he could i mean if you look at uh, uh last picture show and and to a certain degree paper moon yeah where it looks like a john ford film it's as far as scope and he shot it in black and white and he said to he said to the producers you get more depth and more more range and more scope in black and white you get the look of an old school movie, but the story is modern. And, and in that one, it's, you know, teen sex and more sex and, you know, old times dying and new things moving ahead. And the, the gender politics in power of the dog, this isn't a John Ford film. It looks, it looks like a gorgeous Western, but it's an indie art house. You're going to be talking about this over coffee and cake uh, for yeah. hours yeah. afterwards. Yeah. And that's a great mixture, I think. Yeah. yeah. Joe. The, the time period, too, is, is spectacular, too. I love, I love the fact that, you know, it's a Western. These are all cowboys, essentially. And then later on in the film, there's cars rolling around, you know, like they're jumping in cars. And, and it's just like, wow, this, it's, it's Montana, I believe. I think it's the yeah, 1925. Yeah. 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 So it's, so it, it's very much like the the Wild West in a lot of ways, but they also have cars and it's the, there's just there's so many things that are just things about this movie. that are just kind of askew just a little bit that, yeah. that adds to that whole the whole vibe. And, it, you know, that just the, the fact that 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 Phil is such a son of a bitch to this whole movie. And then, you know, and then there's just it, it's not one of the things it's not a turn in the sense that he's suddenly redeemed. But you get this, like you you understand a lot more about him suddenly, yeah. And you know, and and it's just things just things change so much, and it's it's a whole lot like Brokeback Mountain. And I don't want to 
I don't want to harp too much on that, but in a lot of ways that it's, it's very much like that because, because of, but it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a lot, it's a lot less overt, of course. Um, you know, where it's just like, oh, they'll never accept us, you know, like, like this, we can't, you know, it's, but all of that is implied because it can be, you know, and, and it, it makes it that much more powerful, I think, um, just, just to just having that. You, um, the, the use of cars and Westerns, that's something uh, one of my favorite directors did quite often, Sam Peckinpah. Mm-hmm. He would do that in The Wild Bunch, uh, Battle of Cable Hogue, and to a certain degree, I mean, Junior Bonner feels like an old Western, even though it's set in the early 70s in the, in the rodeo world. Mm-hmm. In, in this aspect, similar of you have a lot of folks with a maybe 18th, 19th century mentality yeah. dealing with change that is com- that's it's already there whether they know it or not and yeah. it's funny we live in indiana and we're usually the last state to get things although you know covid is pretty high yeah, um, is. so <laughs> well it's okay uh there's a restaurant not open on sundays but anyway so yeah. but but the fact is the dynamic of the relationships and what it's i i have a stepmother who lived who grew up in montana and yeah don't mention the mountain movie and probably not mention this film as well, but they're, you know, they're more complex. Black and white hats are boring. Gray hats, like the one that is in Cumberbatch on the poster on the IMDb page. That's more fascinating. And that's, that's what this film brings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly, like there's not a moment. I mean, dude, this is, um, when we were talking about this on, on the episode we did, I talked about not only is this like just the most Austin movie ever, because mm-hmm. it's just like so it's all cerebral. It's just like, again, you're watching Slice of Life of everyone just yeah. living through life. And every scene almost has a detail that's added added to it just to give you more to chew on. Right. And then by the end, you put it together much like I, I, I compared it to the storytelling of The Master, the Paul Thomas Anderson film, where that also is yeah. Slice of Life. It doesn't really tell you what's going on, but by the end you go, oh, fuck, this is a love story between these two characters. You know what I mean? Like, And this is very much that way. It's just a different story. You know, It's just they're yeah. showing you these different things, and it's one of those movies I think can make you feel smart because it's not blatantly telling you, but it's also not hard to figure this one out. And yeah. uh, I just I, I love that. I love the huge wide-scope shots. I mean, this movie feels big. Oh, I saw The Last Duel, the Ridley Scott movie, which I actually liked. Um, but that movie feels so claustrophobic to me. Everything's just kind of like a mid shot or close. And I want these big, vast shots like this Jane Campion shit, man, because like this feels so believable and tangible and real. It's like world building. You know what I'm saying? I love when we use I love when we use sport and action movie words to describe art house films. But yeah, uh-huh. I'm with you. no, yeah. I'm with you on that. Last, I I like the last duel despite its CGI ness because it's a very expensive reminder that men fucking suck. Yep. <laughs> so that's literally what um, I, t- I I literally put on. <laughs> hold on, I literally on uh, on Letterboxd put what did I what did I put as the as my thing? Hold on one second. This is good. For the last duel. Yeah, for the last duel. Because I watched the last seen, duel yesterday. You, sorry, if you've not seen Rashomon, friends, you could start with the last duel, but I'd start with Rashomon. But that's yeah, yeah, it, it is very much. But I did all I put was bruh, fuck the 14th century. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Because that, that's how I felt afterwards. I was like, men suck. Uh, the 14th century sucks worse. Sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> like because it births all these men to be hey, the way they are. He won a duel and you don't die. Yay! Yeah. 
yeah, it's it's um anyways, the point is uh the power of the dog does uh, just that scope and that world building, right? Something that Ridley yeah. Scott used to be very, very good at, and I, I, I like the last duel, but it's, it's, it's not the power of the dog, all right? I mean, the power right. of the dog is, um, I mean, when you have think about this, I'm going to use the same analogy: the turning of the screw, tightening the tension, like building the tension with the music, like nothing could be happening in this movie, and the music yeah. just somehow builds the tension every scene. Something's happening, and it's like, why do I feel tense? Nothing tense is happening right now, but it's yeah. building to something, and then you start yeah. learning these details. I mean, this is to use the exact phrase I used, and then I'll pass it off to we'll get some more from Joe or whoever wants to say something. <laughs> but like somebody just talk. Yeah, the thing yeah. the thing with the power of the dog is uh, I, I've I've talked about this a lot, and I hope this doesn't take us on a tangent. But uh, Matthew, I don't think I've talked to you about this. We've we talked. Uh, during the MCU episode on since, I've used this uh, example of when Scorsese talked about uh, superhero movies not being cinema and using that term, right? And yeah. and and I, I have been very outspoken about how I, I, although I think that's a very pretentious way of talking about it, and of course he went back on it, I agree with what he means by it. I just don't like the way he worded it. And when I think of cinema, quote unquote, the pretentious uh, guy I am, the power of the dog is that okay. that is timeless cinema this could have i mean because of the content it couldn't have been but i mean this is one of those movies that's made the way it's made is the same way movies have been made since the silent era it's telling you a story and it's classic mm -hmm. and the power of the dog is my number one and i did not expect it to be number one the whole time but since i've seen it it has been my number one any final thoughts with you guys and the power of the dog go for it See it, man. Go. That's why. That's why we do these shows. So go, go check it out, and then go have coffee and cake, or have something stronger to drink, or something stronger to eat. Um, you know, if you're if and if you're a Cumberbatch fan, you should really check this out. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah. I think we're used to seeing him play you know, kind of smooth characters or, or smooth flawed characters, whether it's Dr. Strange or Sherlock, or, you know, if you're doing a, the, uh, as Kobe would call it, Lord and Lady bullshit movies. I mean, <laughs> any of those. And so, I mean, it's, this is a great example of what else can this guy do? And, yeah. uh, and this is a great answer to that question. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, I love Benedict Cumberbatch overall. Um, you know, that he did the imitation game. He's, he's done, you know, these, obviously he's done, he's like a big actor who, you know, came comes in and does his stuff. You know, he's he's got this. You know, he does Doctor Strange. He does all that. You know, and great. You know, and and he comes and does movies like this every bit as much. And and um, you know, I I enjoyed him so much in this movie. Uh, he's you know that I have these uh, these performances uh, again at the risk of a tangent. Peter Sarsgaard is one guy that you know way back when I saw him in Boys Don't Cry, and I hated him. I hated him so much that when I saw Shattered Glass very soon after it enhanced that movie to me because he was very much supposed to be kind of a prick in that movie until he's the hero. Yep. And this is kind of like Benedict Cumberbatch's performance here is, is a lot like that. Uh, at least that dynamic where he's such a bastard most of this movie that it's just like, what is wrong with him? Like, why, why is he just such an irredeemable prick this whole movie? And then, like I said, you don't, you don't get any, like, there is not this thing that happens where it's like, oh, well, you know, like I was abused as a child and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, 
you find out that this is, you know, this is what he, you know, like this is not the person that he is, you know, the, the real him is not allowed to be, you know, so this is how he copes with it, you know, and it's, and it's not meant to excuse anything. It's not, you know, it's just meant to be like, it's just kind of how it is. And yeah, it's just kind of what, you know, this is what happens. It's it's the gray area that Matthew was hinting at with the hats. Yeah. Yeah. It is that that gray. Yeah. And that's, that's a fantastic little metaphor that they throw in there, that, that little symbolism they throw in there. But um, yeah, th- this is, I mean, this wasn't obviously not my number one, but this is, this is one of the, one of my fa- uh, you know favorite movies of the year. Um, and it, yeah, it, it is terrific. And it is certainly one that, that you need to watch, uh, it, you know, if, if you love cinema, which I assume you do, if you're listening, if you're, you're better. listening to this and you don't, I, I, you need to find something better to do with your time. <laughs> yeah. Like go watch Spider-Man, No Way Home. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Go watch that. Um, I- no, go see it a second time, Joe. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> go I'm see it go, a sixth time. Right now, I'm leaving right now to go see. No, no. Um, yeah, that's the uh, Power Dogs by number one. We've covered our uh, top ten finally in half the time that we did last year, which is really fantastic. Well done. Uh, so, so you know, kudos to you guys. Thank you so much, uh, Matthew. As I said before, do the run through. Where can people find you? This is another oh, episode, another day. Go okay. for it. Uh, I am the host of Film Sociology, a film talk show, now podcast, and it's 14th year at WFYI. So you can go to WFYI.org and search all the podcasts. I'm on Facebook, on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. Side Tangent, host of the Blues House Party, Saturday nights at 7 on WFYI and 9 o'clock at WBAA up in Lafayette. Um, yeah, go check that out. And yeah, go see these movies. Go make a list. Check it twice. Um, you know, what's, what's been interesting on the film show since COVID is especially early on when there were no, when nobody was going out and has now become this kind of weird ritual is I will ask you what you've been watching mm-hmm. and I will get anywhere from a hundred to 200 people telling me what they've watched in the last week. I've had people apologize for not seeing something or yeah. asking questions on <laughs> does documentaries count? Yes. You know, or somebody that said, I didn't see anything this week. I, or I had, a, I had somebody who, who told me that they don't watch movies because it's full of hate and violence. And I told them to dig deeper. So there's, there's all of that. So I'm hoping, you know, despite whatever ramblings I give you, what obscure things I'm going to talk about, but, you know, hopefully through the grab a pencil portion, you watch something that you've never seen before. I mean, it's, Yes, your daughter's seen Spider-Man six times, but I hope she gets to watch something new every now and then. Absolutely. That's what I, that's what I tell the kids. Uh-huh. Um, so so between that and uh, you know, falling back on old favorites, do what you, do what you can there. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I two two things. Number one, yeah, those those weekly things for a while gave me it was like a, a motivator for me, especially last year when you know I was like, I've got eight, 10, 12, 14 movies that I watched last week. And I'm listing them all, damn it. And I, you know, <laughs> Do I did, it, man. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it'd be like, then there were just times where I was like, oh, I only saw like three this week. I only the saw slacker. one. Slacker. I never come Yeah. Back. And by the way, also, I've not forgotten. We need to do scenes from a marriage. I've not forgotten this. I mention it every time you post. Yeah, yeah we now I have I, I now have HBO Max, so I might see if I can watch the uh uh, um, Oscar Isaac's Jessica Chastain version as well because I don't get enough Bummerville with uh, Leave oh, Holman really? and Erlen Josephson. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, we will. We will. Uh, we'll, we'll finish that whole marathon because we had three yeah, movies yeah. left, and we'll talk about it off air. But that's okay. <laughs> yes. It's okay because I do yeah. want to watch them. And now I fight, fucking have time to because we're done with 2021 <laughs> for the time being. I'm gonna get off here and go play video games or something. <laughs> well, um, one more thing. One more thing yeah, for me, please, Joe. In regards to film sociology, especially oh, go God. way back in the archives. And look for my name and listen to all of those because it's the best <laughs> one you'll ever hear. Shameless self-promotion. I, I don't, Joe, I don't know how comfortable you are as far as getting you in studio or whatnot, but I, it's funny because I, I should just call you schmucks, but there's like, I, I think co- what COVID has done is like, I want to interfere with their bubble. You know, no. I don't want to interrupt that thing. So I need to, I need to break that habit and, we, I, Joe, I need to get you back in the studio so we can start talking about films and then eventually just go back into 80s wrestling. And just start talking about, yeah, and Austin <laughs> needs to come along with that because... Oh, good he's, Lord. He's got some, I mean, Austin is every bit the wrestling fan that I that's am. True. That's true. We'll do a yeah. three-hour podcast that has about 20 minutes of film. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's always my goal when I go in. It's like I'm going on the movie show to talk about wrestling. It's like, you know, like we need to just talk about No Holds Barred and, the, you know... <laughs> like Dude, Golden, and, you know what, actually, to... Yeah. to quote another podcast is on uh, golden globus did a good treatment of that so austin you need to go on youtube and find more of ernie the cat lad you egg-sucking dog <laughs> yeah. i will guys this has been so great i'm so Thank happy you. i hope this is a tradition that we continue um <laughs> because we've done it two years in a row now and all, all now, now it's, it's now it's a, it's a routine yeah. Uh, so hopefully one we can do that. A, one more, and it is a tradition. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so uh, Joe and I are going to do our 2021 wrap up and uh, uh, 2022 most anticipated next week. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for taking time to hang with us, man. Always a pleasure, guys. Good to see y'all. Well, that concludes our top 10 of 2021. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This really was a kind of strange year for us, I feel like. Many of us didn't see nearly as many movies as we normally do every year. And uh, just the selections, though there were a lot of good movies, uh, there just weren't those ones that really stood above the rest. And, you know, I was able to pick five or uh, 10. But honestly, my top five are pretty solid. Like, I feel very comfortable with those. But man, I feel like, you know, even now, uh, I just feel like I-, I could switch things around or something, you know, with with my bottom ten, uh, my bottom five, you know, my bottom half of my top ten. And so, yeah, it's just a weird year. But I am looking forward to 2022, and that's what Joe and I are going to talk about next week. We're going to wrap up last year. And then we're going to move on to talking about our top five most anticipated films from this year, 2022. Very excited to do this because I have a several. Um, some of my picks will not be surprises. Uh, you know, they're by really popular or famous filmmakers. Um, some of them are complete were complete unknowns to me until recently, and uh, I think those will be really interesting to discuss. Uh, all that and more next week, though. We're going to have a good time, Joe and I. Uh, but for now, that was our top 10. I'm not going to make us go any longer. Thank you so much. And just remember, I love you guys. Good night. Good luck. And take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>